we spent a long time in our lab developing products that you can now get at your home. Our pantry line of chili crunch, our salsa spices, our soy sauce for Momofuku are available nationwide at stores like Whole Foods, Target, Kroger's, and some really great independent stores near you. That list is growing. Thank you so much for the support, guys. And if you aren't close by to a place or you just want it delivered to your door immediately, you can visit us at shop.momofuku.com and you can get a box of instant noodles that are not deep dried delivered to your door and you can use the promo code DOMO10, that's D-O-M-O-10, for 10% off your purchase price. Um, so again, visit us at shop.momofuku.com. And again, another partner of ours, Any Day Cookware. Currently, I'm in the mood of cooking batches of food, freezing them, since I'm on the road a lot more these days, and I can still know that my family is eating delicious meals that I've cooked because I can cook and freeze on them, and then they can reheat and serve in them in the Any Day Cookware, 10% off Any Day with the code DAVE. Visit that at cookanyday.com. 20% off Athletic Brewing, the best non-alcoholic beer around. They have a lot of new flavors, seasonal flavors, but I'm a big fan of the Athletic Light, the Day Packs, and it's just like water to me because I drink so much of it. Athletic Brewing, the code is AthleticGift20 for 20% off Athletic Brewing. And Cometeer Coffee, the gift that keeps on giving me life and, and, and keeping me energized throughout the day, the best coffee that I think can get around that I can make. Cometeer can give you $40 off your first two orders at cometeer.com slash Chang. That's C-H-A-N-G. And we got 15% off East Fork Pottery for Friend of Dave. That's Friend of Dave for East Fork Pottery. You can update your ceramics plateware at home. All right. We'll get on to the show. We have. Andrew Ray, a.k.a. Binging with Babish. Get on to the show right now. Welcome to the Dave Chang Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network, presented by Major Doma Media. Thank you, La Tango, as always. If I sound hoarse, or if I lost my voice, I have, and I don't know what happened. I, 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 uh, I was hooting and hollering in New Orleans. Was, there was gambling involved. I was, uh, I don't know what happened. And I, 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 my throat doesn't hurt. So I'm wondering, have I lost, is this my new voice? It's like my, my voice has dropped. <laughs> you sound like Jason Kelsey. <laughs> Do I? It's, it's, I know that it sounds weird, but, um, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, Taylor Swift, if I sound like Jason Kelsey. Anyway, Yuno's not here. Yuno's going to join me. We're going to do um, three things, a slice and PFFW. We're going to try to jam that all in before we get to Andrew Ray. This episode is brought to you by Pure Leaf Iced Tea. Great iced tea takes you somewhere else like new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea that we have here at the Spotify Studios and drink quite a bit where unexpectedly blackberry flavor transports you to a berry delicious place. So refreshing you may never want to leave. You will eventually have to though, but take your time. Try new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea. Visit amazon.com slash pureleaf and enter 20 Pure Leaf. That's 20 Pure Leaf for 20% off your purchase of new Pure Leaf Blackberry iced tea. 
Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. So I'm in New York for a couple meetings. I'm on the road a lot and, and I'm looking at my calendar and I, I'm legitimately on the road until February, mid-February, almost every week. So it's a big change for me. I used to love travel and I used to love it very much. And now with two kids and just sort of being at home for three years during the pandemic, it's not what I want. It's not the life that I want, but uh, I think that it's, 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 it's sort of what I need to do right now. So we'll do it. But, uh, that's, that's, things have changed a lot and you may, you may, um, you can read in between the lines here, but I think a lot of things have changed and, and, and I think we're, we're adjusting for those changes as well. So I'm in New York right now and it's different, right? The whole, whole, whole city is different. I am nostalgic. I do miss the sounds. I miss the sounds of the sirens. I miss the honking. I miss the dirtiness. I do. I, I, I love New York. New York is my home. I've lived here in this city longer than any other city, any other place in my life. I've lived below 14th Street for a good chunk of that since 1999, maybe with a year in Tokyo. And, you know, I've been in LA for two and a half plus years. So, you know, 20, 20 plus years of my life in this city. So it's changed. There's no question it has changed. And I think a lot more things are happening in the outer boroughs and clearly office workers, you know, that's the same all over the place, but change is good. But I do miss it. I, number one thing I miss is the sound. Number two, I miss people walking. I miss walking. I mean, I, I, if you have like your walking meter, I think most New Yorkers probably walk like eight to 15,000 steps a day. Like getting 10,000 steps a day is a joke in New York. And I would average like 15,000. And, and now in LA, I'm, I mean, I still walk a lot, but it's never as much as I did in New York. And I just love walking. I always was able to walk to work and walking to work was such an important part of my day because I could think I, I get most of my good thinking done while I'm walking. A lot of the ideation for dishes and restaurant ideas would happen when I'm walking. And it was also a good stress release. And I've always walked while I would take the subway. Sometimes I would just walk, you know, many, many blocks. And I, I just don't get that opportunity. Not that you can't in LA, but it's not the same. You know, walking in New York, it's not like anywhere else. Yeah, you can walk in other cities, but New York is aggressive walking. And everywhere else, they don't walk aggressively. And you can't walk aggressively because it may be too crowded. But, I mean, just looking at people, it's awesome. I also love, like, you can pretty much see who's a tourist and who's not a tourist by seeing who's eating at certain restaurants, right? That's the third thing I love is is the lair. There's so many doors in New York City, right? And New York City is about access. It's all about access and power. But also it's like access. 
And usually it's those doors to access to power and wealth and money and fame and whatever. But it's usually just like cool shit. And just walking around downtown, I miss the, 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 that access that is never spoken about, right? To most people, unless you live here, unless you're in the know, you're not going to know where to go. You know, there's so many restaurants these days or places that have no names that have maybe a, a false, false awning because they took over a store and it's like, looks like it's vacant, but I know that there's something going on in there and it's not trying to be cool either. There's a lot of places around the world that try to do that intentionally. I just think New York is still the coolest city in that regard. And, you know, I was walking through little Italy and I was just sort of laughing at how I'm just going to say like how bad some of the food looked uh, walking by, you know, and I'm, I'm not saying that there's that good businesses, but like, man, I miss that. And walking through Chinatown, I love Chinatown in New York because there's still some great restaurants here. And I'm only here for a couple of days. And I got to say, it's bittersweet because I, I, I want to eat at, you know, Tatiana. I want to eat at Teresi. I, I want to see Wiley Dufresne. But at the same time, like, it's the first time where I feel like maybe it's not home anymore. And I don't know. I, I, maybe it's just a point in my life where it's just different. But I'm feeling not. It's the first time I can acknowledge that it's like not my New York anymore. And it's not my home anymore. And things have changed. So it's different. So I'm nostalgic for New York in a tremendous amount of ways. It's just, I love it. But it's also maybe a point in my life where I, I, I lived it to the maximum and there's nothing, there was nothing left to squeeze to. So I don't know, like maybe a little bit back, maybe not, but for, for a city that I lived in for so much to only come back maybe once or twice a year, it, it, it feels strange. It definitely does. But the one thing I got in uh, New York is uh, I got Wu's Wonton King. And the one thing I feel like that it's not done well enough in America, and this is probably going to get me in trouble, is Cantonese food. And even in LA, I think Northern Chinese and Taiwanese, even though Taiwanese friends say Taiwanese food isn't that good, but there's a lot of Taiwanese restaurants and Sichuan food uh, and Yunnan food. But Cantonese food gets labeled Cantonese, but it's not being made by like Cantonese chefs. And I think that's a distinct thing. And a lot, not an expert. There's not that many Cantonese specialized restaurants in the Los Angeles area. I think the better Cantonese food is possibly in Los Angeles, definitely Vancouver, definitely Sydney. And man, I, I had a bowl of wonton men, like wonton, wonton noodle soup. It's so funny how things come full circle. I had a great bowl. Was it? It was so clean. It was so pure. And Wu's Wonton King is just a great restaurant. They do Cantonese barbecue, and it's a specific kind of like, say, Cantonese food. I'm sure people can say things are better here or there, but man, like, it's the kind of restaurant that LA does not have. And it doesn't taste that way. It tastes a specific way, super old school, super clean. And I think Wonton Men is. You know, that's sort of like my, my prediction is I think everything is cyclical and so much of the hot noodle bowl soup really comes from like, like China clearly, but I think wonton men is not easy to make. The broth has got to be clean. 
it's got to be flavorful, but it almost has to taste bland, if that makes sense, but not bland. It's, it's, it's not a consomme, right? It doesn't have that vegetal notes. It's, it's a very subtle, it's a very complex, very seriously deadly simple, but also extremely complex to make. It's pure. And then you get the texture from the, 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 the noodles that are chewy that, you know, they just have texture. And then you have the softness from the different, and the noodles and you have a little of the vegetable. And then you have a little bit of the alien flavor from the sky. And so I, you know, it was, it was just like a revelatory thing because I haven't had a good bowl of wonton man in a long time. And most wonton man is delicious, but this one, again, just tasted so pure that I was like, shit, I haven't had something like this in a while. So that's the, these are the things that I think New York does. And there's great Chinese food everywhere in New York these days. But, you know, I was really tempted to eat pizza, but I'm trying to uh, not eat as much pizza. Literally, literally I, I walked past like 16 pizza shops and I'm only here for like 48 hours. And I, I didn't eat any of it. And then I'm, I'm staying downtown and uh, I just capitulated and got a, a bowl of wonton men and uh, tashu and uh, roast duck. Man, so good. So good. Anyway, those are my three things. Shout out to New York. I love you. And, and you never know. We could be back one day, but right now LA feels like home, but New York, you are always home to me. Anyway, I'll take a break. I got a, a slice that just happened, and a lot of it has been travel-oriented. But I was flying, and to the person to my left, two things happened, and I three things happened. And I asked myself, why was I so angry at this person? <laughs> this, this dude wearing sweat shorts, like, like sweats. We sit down, and the thing he does immediately was he takes off his shoes, takes off his socks, and he's barefoot immediately. And I was just like, what are you doing, dude? What are you doing? I mean, I can understand taking off socks, right? Taking off your shoes and just being your socks, but bare feet. What the fuck, dude? And <laughs> this is when it was really gross. He got up. And he walked around to use the relatory in his bare feet. Yeah. And I wanted to take out my phone and videotape the whole thing. But I thought that would be too weird. I don't know why. But I was just like, come on, man. Like, you can't do that. That's gross. And like his feet are everywhere. In the bathroom. If that wasn't enough. On the way down. We're descending. This guy decides to use the lavatory. Right when the, 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 the flight attendants are walking back to the chair, he sneaks out and he uses the bathroom. And we're descending. And they're just like, so he's in the bathroom and he doesn't come out. And he's in there for a while. And they're like, he's got to come out. So they're like, you have to come out. He doesn't come out. He finally comes out. Clearly, he takes a huge stump. I mean, like he had to laugh or something, right? <laughs> He sits down and he's like, I, I can't put on my seatbelt because I don't know how it doesn't work. And I'm like, he's, this is all happening to my left. And I'm just like, well, what the fuck are you doing, dude? You can't, you, you, you just put it in. I, I, I did. I've never seen anything like this where 
you can take the seat belt. It's a seat belt, and you just put it into the seat, the fucking other part. And he was arguing with the the attendant, saying that it doesn't work. And like we're now about to like touch down on the ground, and I I feel like these stories are happening more and more. People acting very strange on airplanes. I think I read a couple articles, and I don't know what the occurrence is or why it's happening, but it was very bizarre behavior. And what is what is your protocol? Should I have gone over and buckled the seatbelt for himself? Right? Should I have told him to put his shoes on or at least his socks? What is the protocol there? This is not a slice of life. This is where like Dave asks you guys, what do you do when your <laughs> seatmate? Is acting like a like a crazy person, and then I never said anything to this guy. It was more like watching, and then we're taking our our, our suitcases from above, and uh, he's behind me as I take it all out, and I'm like my 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 rollaways right in the aisle, and this guy who should wait, right? You know when you're waiting to depart the airplane, it's like everybody waits. That's what you do. So the only thing I'm in the seat and he's behind me because he had to get out earlier to get his overhead baggage out. This guy hops on my shoulder and over the seat and over my suitcase in front of me and hip checks me out of the way. And I'm just like, I, I don't understand this. And you know what? Old Dave would have gotten really mad. Old Dave would have been like, what the fuck? And I, I think I was like, I was pretty full of anger but i just remember to myself like what's the point what's the point what's the point when i can just blast this person on a podcast but really it's it's more like what is the <laughs> protocol what what is the protocol when you have somebody that is doing something that is like sort of like not 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 appropriate on on your flight like that's just gross I feel like there's like grades to this, right? Like there's like levels of like, Hey, do you acknowledge that it is socially unacceptable to take off your socks on a plane? And then it's like, Oh, do you know that it's really bad to like step into the lavatory with bare feet because there's all kinds of bacteria and like, you know, urine on the floor. Hey, um, you know, it's just like, and then this guy just comes in. It's like a, it's like a UFC fighter who only kicks you in the groin and only gouges out your eyes. You're just like, you know what? I'm just not even going to step into the ring with this guy. He hopped over me by using my shoulder and the seat over me. I was like, what is this guy doing? Anyway, that, that, that's my, that's, that's, that's my story. On the flight over here, I watched Beckham on Netflix and wow, I feel old. David Beckham's Netflix <laughs> thing is, oh, I thought it was pretty good. I, if you, if you like soccer. Yeah. I thought it, I thought it was a really well done thing, and I just kept on thinking about that Real Madrid team with Roberto Carlos Figo and Zidane. Amazing, so many other players. But I guess the the slice I the other the real slice that I have is I'm in New York. What do you do, right, when you come to a town and you're visiting? And you don't let your friends know that you're there. Right? There's a, 
you, there's I mean, a lot. There's a line by the band Luna that I love a lot, right? And it's the song Penthouse, and Dean Wareham's lyric, and one of the lines goes, "Why are you, why are you hiding from your friends?" And it's one of my favorite lines of all time. <laughs> and part of it is, and I know that other people feel this way, and it doesn't necessarily even have to be when you're visiting your friends from out of town. It could be in the same town that you're in, but you're just hiding from your friends. Why do you hide from your friends? And it's not something I really understood till later. I don't know. I don't know. Nothing's changed. I have plenty of friends here, but I just don't know. Part of it, I don't know. I don't know why I can't reach out and say, hey, let's go hang out. I think it's just too much nostalgia. But also, it doesn't have to be that way. It's like sometimes I just want to stay at home, right? So, do you ever feel that way, you know? No, and you like, visit a town and yeah, you don't let anyone know you're there? A hundred percent, all the time. And here's the dilemma I run into. is like, I have a limited amount of time. And if I if one of my friends finds out that I hung out with you and not with them, I'm in so much deep shit. So I'm just like it's just like politically like oh man like I don't I don't really want to start this drama. So like you know I'm just gonna stay in the hotel and watch Netflix right like or I'm just gonna you know sneakily just get around and go, try to get what I eat and uh, and go back into the hotel because you just don't want to piss off your friends. Like if you have enough, especially like you, I can't imagine how intense it is for you. You have so many friends. And they would be bummed if they found out, oh, you hung out with this person, but not with me. Like, what the Yeah, fuck and I, I don't like, think they listen to the podcast, but I got to say something, too. When you don't have an apartment in New York City, you, I feel naked. You know? Um, <laughs> it's like I lost my card. Like, having an apartment in the five boroughs is an important thing. And I understand why people that like try to keep a place here but i don't know I, it feels like i there's a disconnect to some degree but you know the, the city's thriving there's a lot going on but you know when i'm in san francisco i don't i don't let people know but when people find out when i find out friends come to la and i find out invariably through social media or something that they were here i'm like i got i get a little butt hurt you know it's like it didn't holler but at then you. I, but but yeah. then I remember it's the same thing that I feel like. It's like, you know, things get different when you get older. It's amazing what your priorities are. And I'm I'm on the wrong side of 40, and I am entering a phase where I am becoming the curmudgeon that I've always wanted to be. My full Larry David id is is has happening, and I am paring down my life and my friends and I feel so bad for Grace because I'm becoming the 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 grand wizard of endorsement. And I may not even leave my hotel room tonight. Okay. <laughs> well the theoretically by the time this reaches air, you'll be gone, right? I will be gone. I'll be back. Yeah. No, but I'm traveling again. So we're filming next week and then I'm on the road. I'm back in New York. And then F1 in Vegas. So you guys haven't signed up. Uh, There was an F1 race in Austin, Texas. And the next one is going to be the first race in Las Vegas. And I'm doing a bunch of things at the Cosmopolitan. The MGM is going to be full blast. And 
If you haven't booked a room anywhere close to Las Vegas, I think you may be too late. This is going to be like the biggest week ever in Las Vegas. So I'm excited, beyond excited to do that. And then uh, after that, we got Black Friday and I'm going to, first Thanksgiving, I'm going to miss. I used to miss Thanksgiving all the time, cooking, but uh, I will be cooking and working on Amazon Black Friday game. And that that's a tough turnaround. And then after that, I'm going to out of country again for work. So I'll be on the road for three weeks and I'm only going to see my kids like two of at two out of 21 days. So, you know, it, it is what it is, but I'm not complaining. We'll take a break. All right, guys, we're going to do a PFFW and then an Ask Dave, and then we'll get into the interview with Andrew Ray. All right. This week, it's solo. No Chris Yang. And last week, not a surprise, we went 0-2. And, and overall, we're 5-10. and 10. Yeah, Jacksonville kicked the shit out of us. That game, uh, we saw that last play. And apologies to Jacksonville. In that moment, the best food in that moment, when Fabian Moreau did not catch that pass in the end zone, it was clear that in that exact second, in the multiverse of food, that Jacksonville had the superior cuisine to New Orleans. I can give you that. And that's why we lost. That's why we lost. And that's how accurate our algorithm is, is that it, it knew that it was going to happen and it let it happen. So there's nothing we could do about it. So we lost. All right. So that being said, we're going to go to two more cities that I, I, well, I knew New Orleans really well, but also that, you know, speaking of, Cities. People found out we're in New Orleans because of the Amazon game. And a lot of people were mad that I didn't let them know oh. that I was there. Can I tell you something that I've done? You know? I'm not busy, but. <laughs> so this is what happens. I, uh, I change my number. Every like three, four, five years, I change a number and I move it to old number to Google voice number. And I don't check the new old number as much. And I forgot to let people know that I was in town. So now I genuinely feel bad. I feel bad. I feel bad. You're one of those, man. You, you, you did it. You changed. That's, that's a, that's a no. Yeah. Because I'm trying not to connect with people uh, on a regular basis. I'm, I'm really trying to become a, an endorsement, an ascetic lifestyle, as they say. I'm in my own eightfolded pathway to Nirvana. And, you know, next thing you know, I'm going to just get a flip phone. You know, I'm going to slowly revert. Next thing you know, I'm going to listen to uh, a Sony walkie talk, a uh, Sony Walkman. You know, music on that. I'm, I'm reverting to complete analog. Anyway, um, I, I have never, I've been to Buffalo once and I've been to Tampa Bay once. Uh, true story in, in high school, my roommate, Mike, Mike was from Buffalo, Wellsville, New York, one of the biggest Buffalo Bills fans I've ever met. And I didn't know that if you're Buffalo Bills fans from the Buffalo area, you are fucking lunatic. You're a gentle Philadelphia fan 
Philadelphia fans are cannibals. They'll eat their own fans. They will. Like when you watch on, you know, like a, like a, like a Komodo dragon eats like other Komodo dragons. That's what Philadelphia fans are like, right? They're any Philadelphia sport. They'll, they'll beat you up if they don't feel like you're hardcore enough. Buffalo fans are similar, except they, they're not cannibals of their own fans, right? They have the intensity. They have the passion, but they're not, they're not as deranged as Philadelphia fans, but they're deranged in their own way. And when I was in high school, poor, poor Mike F. That was when the Buffalo Bills lost four Super Bowls in a row. And man, when the Redskins won, I was overjoyed. I was overjoyed. And needless to say, I think that resulted in a fight. And Mike punched me in the eye. Punched me in the eye. And you know how it resulted like that? I was egging him on. I probably deserved the punch. But I had him held down. I was, what, 14 years old or something, 15 years old. And then I was like, hey, we're not going to fight anymore, right? We agree, right? I'm going to let go. It was one of those things. You're like, hey, all right, we're, we're done. We're not going to fight. You agree? Three, two, one, we're going to. And three, two, one, he goes, yeah. And then he pops me in the face. So Mike, I'm not going to say your last name. I, I, I know you got, I know you've had a, an awesome life and I, I love you, Mike, but, um, he really should have been a Philadelphia Eagles fan, not a Buffalo Bills fan. <laughs> okay. Punching me in the eye because your team couldn't kick a field goal. All right. That being said, when we distill our algorithm to two cities, Tampa Bay for, versus Buffalo, I think we got to, I think it's going to be a little bit closer than people think. So the beef on whack from Buffalo for the five S's. Beef on whack, according to Wiki, is made with roast beef on a kummel whack roll, which, which I believe is with caraway seeds, right? A roll that is topped with kosher salt and caraway sees the meat on the sandwich is traditionally served rare, thin cut with top bun, getting a dip in jus. So it's a single dip and spread with horseradish. That is a winning sandwich. Let me tell you what. There is not a chance in hell Tampa Bay that you're going to beat that. And so supposedly Tampa Bay invented the Cuban sandwich or at least codified what makes a Cuban sandwich. And this is a hot take. This is a hot take. I don't like the Cuban. I don't like the Cubano. I know. Oh, this is good. This is good. Can I tell you the Cubano I prefer is not with pernil. It's not with like meat, like like pork leg meat. You know, I prefer a Cubano that's just ham and cheese. But when you start to go a little bit fancier, so I prefer. I don't like fancy Cubanos. Let me rephrase this. I don't like fancy Cubanos. I want. It's got to be ham that's square, right? It's got to be square Cubano ham that's sliced thin, like a rectangle, looks like a shoebox, that kind of ham. Pickles, mustard. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Cheese. But, 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 but I, you know, Cubano usually has like pork leg in it, right? Like yeah, roasted, pork, roasted leg. pork. Yeah. 
I'm not to, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't like it like that. I know. Okay. I know. I know. Well, we can't go I to know. Miami ever again or Tampa Bay. Yeah. Listen, oh I'm not saying Cubanos. I don't like, I don't like properly quote unquote, well-made Cubanos. I want the, the cheaper the Cubano to me, the better. That's all. Is that okay to say? So let me rephrase the completely yeah, so I don't want to pull quotes. I like Cubanos, but I don't like the Cubanos that most people like. Again, I'm not, am I not the, I'm not an expert, but I've had enough. I think in theory it makes sense, but I, I want it to be more panini. But if you put more, it, the pork, it, 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 it's, not, it, 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 it's just too toothsome of meat. It's too much meat to the ratio of everything else. Okay. Because you're that's pressing actually, it down and, and it's it like thin. That. So like, that's why, like, to me, a Cubano is almost like a, a, a more, a little bit denser panini. I'm not saying it's great. Yeah. What I'm trying to also say to clarify so I don't get in trouble here is that I love a Cubano great. I do. I'm not, you know, it's like, I'll eat it. I'm never not going to eat one. But if you have to compare it to beef on whack, I'm going to take a poor beef on whack Versus a poor, you know, and, and like the best version of a beef on whack versus the best version of a Tampa Bay Cubano, there's no choice. So the best and worst version of a Cubano versus the best worst version of a beef on whack, I'm taking a beef on whack every day. Because it's soft. And what, again, I can, sometimes I find that a Cubano can be dry. It can be dry. Not all the times, it can be dry. And a beef on wick is not dry because it's a single dip. That single dip is a big thing. Did I just get in trouble? No disagreement here. Right? No, we'll be can, fine. I do think you agree the beef that on wick is just an unstoppable thing. Do you sandwich. agree that a Cubano can be, can be dry sometimes? Oh, I've definitely had some. Like, at places that allegedly have good Cubanos. I'm just like, okay, there's a lot of chewing and there's a lot of hurting my throat going on right now. But... so. When yeah. it's just no, moist, with, with it, if it's moist, it's a moist Cubano. I'm on board. If it's a dry Cubano, I'm not on board. But uh, apologies to the Cubano fans. I'm just saying that. Just hear me out. The best, ver, best and worst version of a Cubano versus the best worst version of beef on whack. I got to give it to the beef on whack. So the sandwich goes to Buffalo. I'm going burn steakhouse over steakhouses. I'm going to go burns over the Buffalo chop house. As much as I love chop house, burns is a a, a legendary, famous steakhouse. And there's something about Florida steakhouses that are done at a level that I don't understand, right? Even like Coach Don Chula has a steakhouse that people love. Steakhouses are a thing in, in Florida. They're its own genre, just like it's its own state. Florida steakhouses make no sense to me whatsoever. And uh, Burns, is, Burns is like one of the biggest steakhouses out there. So I haven't been to either. but. I'm just going by recommendations that I know a lot of people that have eaten at Burns. I never, you know, Buffalo Chop House got a better name, but I, you know, this isn't about aesthetics or pleasant sounding things. It's about real hardcore data here. All right. So we're going Burns Steakhouse. <laughs> Tampa Bay clearly has potentially better seafood. So I'm going to, I'm going to go visit Tampa Bay. Buffalo, you got a lot of lake fish. But like fish, people do not eat on the regular. Tampa Bay, 
I think that they even get Kunk, which is I love I love Kunk. So we're gonna go right now. It's one to two, Tampa Bay. I don't know if they have Kunk, but I feel like I've had Kunk. Can you get Kunk in Tampa Bay? I looked it up and couldn't find much besides grouper. Apparently, grouper sandwich is everything out there. Uh, I do not like grouper. Let me tell you what. The worldliest fish there is. That's true. <laughs> a lot of fish have worms, but in my way. experience, groupers <laughs> had a lot of worms. I'm going sweets. I'm going to Buffalo. I'm going to give the Park Edge Sweet Shop in Southern Buffalo. They make a sponge candy stick covered in milk chocolate. The sponge candy is Buffalo's. Buffalo's like, it's like, it's t- sweet, sugary toffee. Yeah, it's going to win over the Henry Wall Dessert Room, famous dessert spot that's upstairs on Burn Steakhouse. You got this quality, but you can have two in one. You can have two in one. So you're out. You're out. You're out, Tampa Bay. And it's not a surprise that special teams is going to Buffalo as well. You got Frank's Red Hot, Buffalo Tom's, Duff, Anchor Bar sauces are all locally famous. And again, not that Tampa Bay doesn't. They got Trinidad. Darian and Marie Montout put out the festival hot sauce. And the Outback Steakhouse Bloomin' Onion was invented in Tampa Bay. That is a hardcore special team. But, you know, if you remember Buffalo, Steve Tasker is basically Fred Frank's Red Hot. Steve Tasker was a hell of a special teams player, was instrumental in those four Buffalo Bills teams that lost four Super Bowls in a row. was instrumental in them getting and losing. Four Super Bowls in a row. So we have Buffalo over Tampa Bay. Three to two, five S's. We're going with Buffalo on Thursday night football. I will not be at that game. But go watch that. Carissa Witt, Ryan, and, and Tony Gonzalez doing the game coverage. And of course, Al and Kirk Herb Street are sort of two of the best in the game. Go check it out. And uh, yeah, I was funny. I was like, I was listening to Bill's podcast and Cousin Sal was like, they were just talking about uh, football. And Cousin Sal was like, oh yeah, we have that Dave Chang now giving expert analysis on football. Because why not? He's an expert in football. <laughs> and I am, Cousin Sal. I am. This is just the truth. You are an expert. Hey, Cousin Sal. We could, we could, I could help your betting strategy with the PFFW algorithm. Just saying. Anyway, we'll take a break. We got an ask to you know, who we got. All right. So last week's Jacksonville comments definitely uh, elicited some prickly, prickly responses from the residents of the area. So uh, I meant the multitude of references to Limp Biscuit, uh, which is apparently, you know, they got their start in Jacksonville. I don't know if that's something to own as a city, but. Uh, we found a level-headed and informative email from Amanda D. Hey, Chris and Dave. I love your show, both Recipe Club and DC Show. I only listen to like four podcasts and half of them are you guys. Anyway, your take on Jacksonville is only kind of true. As a longtime resident of the area, I can tell you that New Orleans obviously beats us in all things food. But Jacksonville does have quite a few gems worth giving a second look. And then we're, she starts to list like some of the things that Jacksonville has. And... Definitely missed one, so we'll get to that 
seafood. We are a coastal town and there's actually a lot of notable local seafood. Mayport shrimp is huge here. Also, any local fish like triggerfish is your favorite. The grouper, snapper, all widely loved. Safe Harbor Seafood is legendary here. Sweets, Peterbrook Chocolatier is our local sweets claim to fame. Delicious. Sandwiches, lubies. If you're from here, you know and love this place. This is low on BS and high on deliciousness. And steaks. We have steak, but nothing really to write home about. And special teams, they said, should be St. Augustine, which is just a okay, few miles right, south right. of here, the oldest city listen, in the U.S. Listen, we don't need to continue this. Thank you for reading. And, and, and he was just reading to help me because my voice is uh, not there anymore. But Amanda, I appreciate the response. I appreciate you being transparent to say my take on Jacksonville is only kind of true, which I say is true. You know, if this is a <laughs> court case, it's like, this is the glove and OJ Simpson. It's like, you know, my guy, you, you just, you just said everything I said is true. Jack, New Orleans is a better culinary city than Jacksonville. Yes. I, I, I I'm going to say that almost every city has a gem or two. I'm looking at those photos for Luby's hot subs, and that looks tremendous. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. That looks great. It almost looks like a poutine sandwich. It it is. Uh, but that's about it. That's it. You can't you can't come at me with one photo and saying that Jacksonville has many things to offer, but it only really has <laughs> Luby's. That's all I'm saying. But say, okay, say you had an easier matchup than New Orleans this week, which they do. They've got one up against Pittsburgh and the Permani Brothers sandwiches, right? So Luby's versus Permani Brothers, which one would you take? Permani Brothers. This is like no question. Oh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really over this? this, They got a stroganoff steak sandwich. I want some of that. Okay. Luby's looks great. Luby's looks good. But maybe that's all Jacksonville has to offer. <laughs> this is cold. And yeah, and you can't. Yeah, I'm just saying, like Jacksonville. No. All you have is the PGA Tour, and you have TPC Sawgrass. That's all you got. Maybe you crapping on Jacksonville is what makes them stronger and makes them win. So. Who knows? Anyway, I joke. I joke. Thank you, Amanda. If we get to him, uh, if we get to Jacksonville, we will let you know, and hopefully, you can give us a food tour as we get to an atlas, which we've promised you guys many, many times an atlas. But thank you for the detailed response. I definitely will check out Peterbrook Chocolatier, but I gotta imagine, man, it's gotta be hard making baked goods in that humidity. So hot and humid down there. I mean, and for the sandwich spot to be a hot sandwich spot, right? Like this looks like a classic winter sandwich, like eat with the fork. Like this is a cold city sandwich in Jacksonville. Yeah. So anyway. I was skeptical of it. Oh, by the way, Limp Biscuit. Come on. <laughs> I'm sorry. Sorry, Amanda. I, I forgot. I forgot. We can't. Limp Biscuit is not something I can never get behind. Never. Never. 
I did it all for the Nookie. Come on, man. Are you, are you serious? Could you imagine? Could you imagine? Welcome to the Dave Chang Show brought to you by Limp Biscuit. We did it all for the Nookie. Come on. Let's get serious, Amanda. Let's get serious. For real. All right. You ask, you ask why New Orleans, you know, come on. I mean, in some ways, New Orleans is the birth of fucking music. And you give me a fucking limp biscuit? Come on, Amanda. Let's get serious. All right? I'll be serious if you be serious. All right? We're going to take a break, and we're going to get into our interview with Andrew Ray. So you want to. This episode is brought to you by Vital Farms. No matter how you like your eggs scrambled, over easy, or sunny side up, the people at Vital Farms believe in one thing, keeping it bullshit free. That's why their pasture-raised eggs come from hens who each have over 108 square feet of space to roam and forage all year round. So you can spend less time questioning your food and more time enjoying it. Look for Vital Farms in your grocery store and learn more at vitalfarms.com. Vital Farms, keeping it bullshit free. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. You know, just to get into it, I, I want to ask a bunch of questions. So we're going to do a little segment we do. Uh, so, so you want to be a dot, dot, dot. But you are launching today. One of the reasons you're busier than normal is you're launching a cookbook today. Yeah. Um, I kind of forgot until the morning of just like my birthday. It just sort of snuck up on me. Basics with Babish. Recipes were screwing up, trying again and hitting it out of the park at your local bookstores today. Andrew, thanks for joining us. What, what, what is this cookbook different than all the other cookbooks? Right? Like, because I don't know if people know that you're not a trained chef, but you know a lot about food and you've been doing a lot of food, right? Like, how is this? I love the title. Recipes are screwing up. Like, what, what is this about? Well, it's, yeah, no, it's just about that mistakes. Um, uh, yeah, I do not have any formal, formal, uh, culinary training. So, um, everything I know I've learned from trying and screwing up and trying again. And, uh, uh, yeah, I guess what sets this apart from other cookbooks is that acknowledgement of, you know, I make a lot of mistakes. There's a, there's a, sometimes a, a um, veneer of, of perfection surrounding a lot of food media. Um, but with the advent of YouTube, a lot of people are being just sort of raw and honest. I love what you're doing on your channel as well. Like beer can chicken the wrong way. And it's so delicious, like that kind of stuff that could only exist on YouTube. That's not television content. So, um, this book is an acknowledgement of that, that, uh, there were a lot of mistakes made in developing these recipes. There's probably mistakes in them right now. And, um, it's it's more about uh, it's about just about as much it's just as much about the techniques as it is 
learning the techniques and being okay with things not coming out perfect the first time. And we're about to go on a book tour. How many cities are you going on? Oh, geez. Um, let's see. You're going to Philly next, then Toronto, D.C. Um, uh, I, I should really know this, shouldn't I? Um, let me pull up the list. Just so it sounds like I know what I'm talking about for once. We got Philadelphia next, then Chicago, Toronto, D.C., doing a signing in L.A., and um, then Saint, the Jewish Book Festival in St. Louis. You've done book tours before, right? Yeah, I did one for the last book. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Um, this one, uh, you know, it's, it's, just, it's just a good time. If I do a stage thing, it's just a conversation with the audience. If it's uh, a signing, then I try to spend as much time with everybody as I can and just uh, take funny pictures and have a good time. Are you, are you excited about all this travel? Because book tours can be a lot, man. It, it, you know, I don't know yeah, how comedians no, do it or, or bands do it because, like, it's not like it's that many cities, but for whatever reason, it feels extremely long. Yeah, I mean, you've done what four, five books now? How many? How many books have you? We've put done out a, at this we've point? done a few books, but and book tours are fun, and also I got to be honest, just not fun at all. Yeah, no, they're they're exhausting, and the last time I did it, I'll be honest. I had scored some Adderall from a friend <laughs> and that's how I got through it. And now I'm older and I don't have Adderall. I have a legit prescription for Vyvanse, but that's leveled out my blood now. I don't even feel that no more. So I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'll do it. <laughs> well, uh, I wanted to get in because we're finally starting to do YouTube these days. You know, as so is everybody. But man, you're like one of the OGs that started it, right? You're one of the Original I mean, content creators, right? You really are. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't know about the originals. Like, like Chef John has been doing it since you know before any of us were, were born. He, he's he's like the proto, uh, the, the absolute genesis of YouTube food. Uh, I think he was doing it on on all recipes before there was a YouTube. Um, and then you know there was like Epic Meal Time. A lot of food content was like spectacle when it started out, and then it went to instructional, and now it's kind of it's cyclical. It's kind of going back to spectacle now. The biggest food YouTube videos are extreme environments or crazy ingredients or you know huge numbers of of things. Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of the TikTok effect. But I always say, right? I you know when we talk about finding your voice. I think that's the hardest thing in any field. Your your voice um, was very distinct, and it's changed over the years because I think you've changed in a very brilliant way where you've let people more than just sort of like the traditional way, right? People can see your face, et cetera, et cetera. But how did you come up? How did you come about that point of view? Because I think getting that point of view on any level of creativity is so hard. Did you know what you were doing originally? No, and I think that was the secret sauce. Um, I uh, I didn't know what I was doing, and and you know I went to film school, and I worked so hard to get my foot in the door. I got a job in the industry, sort of. I was working visual effects, but it was you know very behind the scene, all stuff you're never supposed to notice. And um, uh, I I tried to make it in documentary production. I tried to do freelance work. I tried to just anything to get my foot in the door. I was working 
you know, till three in the morning every night for a year and a half. And, uh, it wasn't working. And then the very minute that I sat back and engaged in the creative act for the sake of the act alone, uh, just, just making something solely for the sake of making it, I made the first episode of binging, never intend to make a second one. And, uh, and, and people enjoyed it. People wanted to see more. So I kept making it. And, uh, that's where the, tr- the, the sauce came from. Um, the secret ingredient was, was ironically not trying. Like I did try, but like not in the same way. It wasn't this desperate grasping. It was just this effort. And, uh, uh, there's, there's, you know, as, as a creative, I'm sure you felt those moments when things just click as, as if you're not even doing them. And then there's moments where you're just like, pushing a rock up a hill and it's not yielding anything. And that's gotta be so frustrating. And I, I mean, I, I, what I marvel at is those early days was just a one camera. I mean, it was just you talk about keeping costs low. Yeah. And that camera was in front of the fridge. So (laughs) it was, it it would get awkward when I forget something in the fridge. I eventually got a cooler that would keep next to my, my table. So I wouldn't have to move, open the fridge and move the camera. (laughs) So how long did you start to do this when you were like, maybe when was the first time you were like, okay, this is now something that I should spend more time on. And then the second part is maybe I should only be spending my time on this. The the moment that I was like, okay, I I have something here. I need to start doing this every week was, I guess the first windfall of viewership that the channel got one of the, uh, uh, episodes was started climbing the videos subreddit on Reddit. And, uh, it, th- that, that can generally be a tastemaker for the rest of the internet. A lot of news outlets and, and publishers will get, you know, what's hot on the internet from Reddit. Uh, it's sort of a, you know, a, a tastemaker. And, um, uh, so that got it picked up by food and wine and a couple outlets and the video caught a couple hundred thousand views. And I was like, okay, time to start making this every week. And then about uh, eight months later, um, I was actually, it's a very, <laughs> a lot of people who go out and become their own boss and start their own business do so like very precariously. And it, they, you know, they just quit their job and they put their whole life savings into something. Me, I started making more money as a YouTuber than I was at my day job. So I quit my day job. <laughs> I was very lucky. And uh, uh, so it, it was a, it was, a, it was a pretty easy decision to make at that point. Um, uh, but yeah, I just got lucky. <laughs> and for those that are starting out right now, it's it's a crowded space now more than ever because now it's not just YouTube. You have all forms of social media, TikTok and Instagram now is Reels, et cetera. And YouTube is probably the best for engaging community. I mean, for somebody that's thinking like, hey, and so maybe it's not even food, but I want to become a content creator. And there's so much information out there now, right? Like when that was not available when you were starting out, what kind of advice do you have for anybody? It's, I mean, you could not be more right that it is a crowded space. There's so much content. There's so many creators out there. It's very intimidating to, to try to break into it. Like the, the old world of quote unquote content creation, meaning, you know, filmmaking, that was scary to break into because it was so gated and now it's not gated at all. Anybody can become a content creator and it's, it's brought this whole new level of intimidation because you're like, how do I make it amongst the 
the millions of people who are doing it. And I guess the best advice I could give would be to do sort of what what I did when I started uh, binging was just like, whatever you're doing, I guess I, I wouldn't do it in pursuit of becoming a major viral success because, you know, like, when has that ever worked? Really? I, I, how many board meetings at a uh, major corporation have been had about like, how do we make a viral video? And has it ever worked? Uh, it's maybe once or twice, but for the most part, people gravitate toward expressions of genuine self. So something that you're so excited about or uh, passionate about that you feel the need to share it. And that is what people I think are going to gravitate towards. I mean, you sort of hit the nail on the head. I don't know if people listening understand that, that that phrase you expressed when the thing that works is the thing that you sort of was like a throwaway and the thing you spent all the time on doesn't get the traction that you want. And I find that to be extremely frustrating. And it's not just in content creation. It could be a recipe. It could be anything really. You're like, you're so pop committed to something that there's like a sunk cost fallacy to it all. and. I've always found that people ask me, what is he, what are you good at? I always say, it's like, I make more fucking mistakes than anybody. And I'm just able to like, if I make more mistakes, then I can actually like have more like potential positive trajectories on something. And you had mentioned the book was part of the process of you can express a lot of learnings and wisdoms you've gained because of the mistakes that you've made. How, how do you encourage people to sort of get better, right? Because you're a perfectionist. It's clear in your edits. It's clear in everything you do that you have a certain style, a certain tempo, and a certain cadence. And everything is carefully edited and it's meticulous. So people may not see the mistakes, right? So how do you encourage somebody to just fuck it all up? Uh, it's, it's easy advice to dole out because I have a very hard time like accepting and doing it myself. Uh, I'm not very good at, at, at accepting my mistakes. I'm usually pretty hard on myself. Uh, I don't know about you, but the voice in my head is a real dick. Really, it only has mean things to say about me. And uh, it's very hard getting past that guy sometimes. And um, But th- thank you. I really appreciate you saying that about the edits. It, it is something that, that's probably my I've favorite part of my job. Is, it's fucking hard. Editing is so fucking hard. <laughs> It's so hard. I mean, luckily, that's what I went to school for, not not cooking. So that that's why I, I've I've learned more from my mistakes in, uh, in the kitchen than in the edit room. But um, uh, yeah, it, it, it's is that that's a lifelong skill, learning to be okay with your mistakes and accepting the what it really is is just accepting the past and forgiving yourself for the past at the, at its core. And that's 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 a lifelong lesson right there. So. Like the kitchen is a great place to experiment with that concept because the stakes, relatively speaking, are low. Yeah, you're dealing with uh, resources and money and time, but you know it, it, if you're going to practice uh, making mistakes and learning from them, it's a pretty good environment to do it. I mean, that was the genesis for some of your favorite videos, the the botch with Babish, right? When you're revisiting, yeah, no, some I think I, I there, there were sometimes for some videos there were a great enough number of comments about how badly I had screwed it up that I was like, okay, maybe I need to address this. And it kind of started with, um, uh, my, um, uh, what was it? Uh, the carbonara, uh, basics, because there's this other channel, Italia Squisita. Are you familiar with them? I'm not. 
it's, I'm still it's, a it's YouTuber just, neophyte. <laughs> I mean, this, this, that's a good place to be right now. Uh, uh, as, as the old guard, I feel like, you know, an old man, I feel like, why is everything changing? But, uh, uh, I started with, so Italia Squisita, their big thing when they were starting out was they had, would have these esteemed chefs, uh, one of which in this one was Luciano Monosilio, uh, 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 do critiques of, of, you know, Jamie Oliver making an Italian dish, uh, uh, you know, just, just the biggest, um, Italian food videos on YouTube and they would, they would just do a breakdown of just, just how bad it was. And they did my, my carbonara, which, uh, I was recreating it from Master of None. And, um, uh, they, 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 they were, they pulled no punches. And, uh, uh, I was like, okay, I need to learn how to make carbonara the legit Italian way. I need to come back and, and address it. And that was the sort of, impetus for starting a new series called botch by babish where if you comment enough times that i did a bad job then i will i'll fix it i mean i think you've done a remarkable job of creating your community i mean it's massive but engaging that community it's 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 a strange universe this youtube world because it's probably the best platform for engaging a community why do you think that is versus any other platform including Facebook. There's, um, there's a, uh, a, a, a vulnerable personal element to most content on YouTube. It's, it's this, um, you know, it's, like you were saying with my show, it was one camera in my house. So you're seeing a very honest portrayal of my process. Uh, it's not, you know, there's not food stylists, there's not prep cooks. There's the, you know, it's, it's just, what's happening right now and me, you know, just doing the best I can. And it's, it, 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 uh, it sort of takes down the, uh, the barrier between the viewer and the, and the creator in the way that normally exists with television. Like, like if, if you see a, a TV personality across the room, you're going to, you know, whisper to your friends, Oh my God, that's so-and-so. If you see me across the room, you're going to come say hello because there's, there's this connection that, like you said, is fostered between creator and community on YouTube. And, um, yeah, I think it's just the, the vulnerability, the honesty that, that makes it feel so, you know, it, it, the, these parasocial relationships where people feel like we're, we're friends, even though we haven't met. I mean, we were working on some ideas. Um, and I still love those ideas that we're working on, um, to get some of your stuff on a mainstream TV that's not streaming. But the funny thing is your, your shows get more views on YouTube than they probably would on mainstream TV and more YouTube and social media creators get more views than mainstream TV in general. So there's a, again, when I say sea changing culture, like everything that was the way has now flipped on its head before. And you can just see many things that's food content right now, with the exception of, say, a high production food competition show. But everything else, right, that was on PBS in that genre or a travel show is best done on YouTube. And I mean, like, people always ask, like, why is there no Bourdain show? Because there's like 16 different people that are traveling the world that I could think of that are, you know, they've, they've got a crew and they they're doing what you're doing, right? They, they, they took, they had some skill and they're like, screw it. I can just do this. And I think that democratization is an amazing thing. 
But that democratization is also happening across every facet, right? It's 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 exhilarating and is it terrifying at all? Oh, absolutely. I mean, any technology is that way when when you when it's starting out. I mean, AI is as exhilarating as it is terrifying. And uh, the proliferation and ability of anybody to reach an audience of millions. I mean, it's it's scary in the way that like now the algorithm is dictating what content people are making because I you know I've heard TikTok creators saying that they won't make uh, a video without a torch in it because apparently just torching something that just jukes the algorithm and you'll get more viewership. It's that sounds like a little thing, but it ends up compounding into a whole bunch of stuff. And and um, uh, YouTube now uh, scans its thumbnails to determine what's in the thumbnail. It can tell if there's animals or food or death or uh, you know just these different sort of themes, and use that data to to determine how much exposure your video is getting. And people are starting to make content that's catered to that. And so now. It's almost as if the the unfeeling, unseen robot is the one that is the arbiter of creation. <laughs> it's very, it's a very weird new new uh, media landscape we're entering into. I mean, speaking of uh, the algorithm, and you mentioned AI, are you a little concerned if where things are going? Because I mean, I've been to a couple conferences and I've been able to peek around the corner, and I mean, it hasn't been particularly related to food, but part of the reason why the strike is happening as well in Hollywood. There's a lot of food content that's going to be easily done by computer soon. What do, what, what do we do? What do you, what, what do you think you can do moving forward? Right? Isn't that terrifying too? Because like you, you, you're replacing how things used to be. Right. And I just, uh, part of me is a little bit scared for everybody because we just don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, it's there comes a point where I have to I have to let that go because uh, if I think about it too much, it's it's it, yeah, it's terrifying. It could replace what everybody does creatively and 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 uh, uh, procedurally. That like it seems it seems like nobody's safe. I do, however, think that there's definitely potential for AI uh, per- personalities, but. Um, I mean, I'm being made into an AI. I can't talk too much about it because of the NDAs, but I'm being scanned and turned into an AI for something. And uh, it's, I, I think that um, it's some, somebody, I can't remember who put it this way, but uh, if you go to a museum and see a Picasso, you're, 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 the reason you are enjoying it is because you're seeing the perspective of the artist. That's how the artist sees the world. With, with AI, all it is right now, it's so impressive. It is an, an incredible accomplishment, but it is a, a uh, compositor of everything that already exists. It is not, it might create things that are original, but what they really are are determined by ever, all the data that's on the internet. So what you're seeing is, is, is in effect a, a, a composite that's a rehash of what already exists. So the, there's no like soul to it. The tech is going to get better so that it's less and less discriminable. But like, if you read AI writing, you can tell it's AI. It's like this, 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 this makes sense grammatically. It's all perfect, but what? But something's off. 
And it's because there's no like human perspective. There's no uh, individual unique idea behind it. And it, it, it is just the collective of everything that already exists. So there's a part of me that's terrified of it. There's another part of me that's just like, we just got to see how this shakes out. It might just end up being an incredible tool rather than a replacement for real creativity. And I, I think that's why, you know, and I, I'm not just saying this because you're here and you have the book out. I think it, your book is important because it, while it's a book and you're sort of codifying, you're letting people know that this is what you learn and these are the mistakes. And it's ironically enough, that's the data that an algorithm could churn out and sort of, you know, make a boilerplate template out of. At the same time, it's like, it's not if everybody then uses that as inspiration to make their own mistakes and their own iterations of the mistakes that you made. And I think the problem really is, is if we all wind up copying what you're doing, that's the fucking problem, right? We still have agency. We just have to do it on our own, right? And, and not make a facsimile. So, you know, I, I do feel very strongly that the next few years of food is not going to come from professionally trained chefs. It's going to be coming from folks like you that are in food, that are cooking all the time, but with a fresh perspective that is not distilled from you know, a French brigade from 200 years ago. And we need that. So uh, I'm looking forward to checking out your book and uh, wishing you the best on the tour. And as always, man, like, I think you're kicking ass and uh, excited for everything that you're doing. Thanks so much, man. That really means a lot coming from you because, uh, you know, I don't have to tell you that you're a massive inspiration. I do not know how you do it. Like, I, I'd, I'd love to pick your brain again. Uh, when I'm not as nervous as I was the first time now that we know, yeah. we know each other a little bit, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not shaking in my boots and, uh, just figure out how the hell you do it because, uh, every, everything you put out is just hit after hit. And, and I love your products. I, lo- I love your restaurants and it's, it's, you're a massive inspiration in, in what we do around here. It seems like you have a really great team over there that you work fantastically with. So it's, well, it's very kind of you. Thank you. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll have you back. Oh, I mean, we'll we'll uh, touch base if you're in LA. I don't know if I'm back in time, but we'll we'll see. Absolutely, cool, man. Thank you so oh, much for man. having me. Thanks, Andrew. Well, that was our interview with Andrew and Ike, and I mean that I, I find it to be remarkable that somebody can do something so unique, right? And he started out recreating movie foods in real life, right? And, and it's like the timpano and big night and the ratatouille from ratatouille. And the irony is, is like that seemed like so niche, but it, he's created a, a giant following. And I think, you know, the reason why I like doing these. So you want is, is because it can be inspirational. It's like, you may think that your idea may be too niche and too small and too stupid, but you don't know unless you can try it. So I, I do think that getting someone like Andrew is very cool. And I do really believe that the next generation of really culinary thought leaders is not going to come from the professional industry. It's going to come from professional amateurs, right? And that's what I think that Andrew is. And a lot of the great ideas are not going to be, like like I always say, like the past 15, 20 years or even more, some of the best ideas came from homeschooled or non-professionally trained chefs, right? Because you just sort of need to be free from the, the environment that everyone is thinking in. And I think that that's a refreshing change. So yeah, I'm a big fan of his work. I think he makes great stuff. 
And in any creative field that you're in, I think you can draw inspiration from it because, I mean, I mean, there's just no way that it would have worked 30 years ago. But if you do it, you can try it, and and maybe it can maybe it can happen for you. So go check out his book, Basics with Babish: Recipes for Screwing Up, Trying, Getting, and Hitting It Out of the Park. A cookbook. He's actually extremely knowledgeable about food, and I think his book is very much in line with our recent cookbook, Cooking at Home. It's 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 these self-aware cookbooks to some degree are, are the next generation. And I think you should check them all out and uh, yeah, check out all these, all he does on binging with Babish. Not that I need to explain to you, but if you haven't checked out his stuff, it's very cool. 